Hi there, this is Darren Spoo, pastor at First Baptist Church in Tulsa, and welcome to our weekly message podcast. We would invite you to join us in person Sunday morning at 8.30 and 11 o'clock in downtown Tulsa, or check out our webpage at tulsafbc.org. God bless you, and have a great week. Before we do, I need to, to set this up just a bit, and I want to start by asking a question. And then I need you to make sure to listen to me very carefully because I don't want there to be a misunderstanding come up around this, okay? So I'm going to measure every word I say, and I really need you to pay attention and meet me in the middle on this, okay? So here's the question. What did Jesus come to accomplish? Many times we answer that question saying Jesus came to accomplish something that he wanted to teach us how to go to heaven when we die. That is not what Jesus came to accomplish. Now, I want you to listen to me very clearly. I believe there's a heaven. I believe that we will go there if we trust Christ after we die. So nod your head if you understand the pastor does believe in heaven. I want to make sure, yeah, I believe in purgatory too. I've been to too many Baptist business meetings. I mean, I've been to purgatory, all right? (laughs) I do believe in heaven, okay? But that's not what Jesus came to accomplish, just to teach us how to go to heaven when we die. It's so much bigger than that. Listen to me. Jesus came to rescue us from ourselves, from our sin, and restore our broken relationship with God. Now, I believe that the fullest expression of that one day will be, and I'm going to say again, I believe in heaven, will be that we will be united with God in heaven for all of eternity, but, but that's the ultimate goal. A restored relationship with God can begin right here, right now. And so Jesus had a phrase that He used over and over and over again throughout His teachings. In fact, I dare you, double dog dare you, triple dog dare you. Read through all four Gospels and look for this phrase, and every time you come upon this phrase, stop and consider what it means. Jesus used this phrase, the kingdom of God. And we'll talk about, we'll define that here in just a minute, but basically it means that God rules my life. And as He rules my life, that is what it means to be restored to a right relationship with Him. You could say that Jesus came to start a revolution. You see where this is going now? Okay. So a friend of mine this week actually was in an antique store and came across the old Beatles 45 of revolution. Now, it's, it's, it's not warped too much, but it's just warped enough to give a little warble when it plays back, which is just awesome. It makes it sound really vintage. But of all the Beatles songs that we've done, this has been the one that I've been concerned about the most because the song might strike us as an antique because it's written in the 60s, it's written kind of during the social revolution, it even drops some names of political leaders which will actually be the most relevant part. But all I can say to set this up is I think this song is more relevant now than it's ever been and those who have ears to listen should hear. Say you want 
watching our deaf ministry, our sign language ministry over here. I just learned the, the sign for all right. It's really complicated. <laughs> it's going to be all right, everyone. All right. Turn to Matthew chapter 4 with me, if you would. And by the way, Matthew, first gospel in the New Testament, first book in the New Testament. We're going to jump around at several places, so I might be asking you to turn or scroll here in just a minute. But Jesus did come with one message and read it in the Gospels, the kingdom of God. And here's the best definition I can give to that. 
And by the way, please lock this in, hear this, because if somebody asks you, what did Jesus come to accomplish? We kind of fumble around and then we default and say, well, he wanted to teach us how to go to heaven when we die. We've already discussed that. Jesus teaching about the kingdom of God, what did he come to accomplish? What did he come to teach us? God's rule in the human heart. That's what it's about. That's what he came to teach us. That's what he came to reveal. That's what he came to accomplish with you and with me. And so this is Matthew chapter 4. Jesus, after 30 years of obscurity, steps onto the world stage. First, he is baptized, and he is baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then the Spirit leads him into the wilderness, which is always good to remember that the Holy Spirit is involved in our lives when times are good and when times are bad. And then Jesus relocates from Nazareth to Capernaum, which becomes the base of his ministry. And here is Jesus' first sermon. Here's the first thing that he talked about, and I would contend the only thing he talked about for three years, Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Don't you love short sermons? Don't get your hopes up today. We're going to be here a little bit longer than that. This was his main message. Matthew could sum it up in one line, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. So again, just take that word kingdom, lop off the suffix, what do you have? King. Jesus came to teach us how God can be king in your life, in my life, in your heart, in my heart. It's interesting, the things that we often resist the most are the things we most need. And isn't it interesting how we often put God off or push him down the road a little bit and we say, well, I'm going to handle these other things first, but when we, what we most need is for God to be king in our lives. Now, you, you see here, it says the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Well, why does Matthew use that phrase? And that, I think that's where some of the confusion comes in. Did Jesus come to teach us about how to go to heaven when we die? But we need to get the context of this. In Mark and in Luke, Jesus uses the phrase kingdom of God, kingdom of God, kingdom of God. But when Matthew recounts this, we need to remember that Matthew was written by a Jew to a Jewish audience. And Jews were very scrupulous, very careful about using the name of God. You know, one of the big commands is don't misuse the name of the Lord your God. So an easy way to obey that is just not use God's name at all. And so an easy substitute, instead of saying kingdom of God, is kingdom of heaven. By the way, we still do it. When you say to somebody, heaven, help us, what do you mean? You mean God, help us, okay? So it's the idea here that Jesus is not so much teaching us how to get to heaven when we die, but how to get God and heaven into our lives where he rules. And then what's our first response What's needed? And we're going to talk here in a minute some of Jesus' parables about entering into the kingdom. But here's the first word attached with this news of the kingdom. Repent. All of us by default are loyal to some other figure in our life. Most of us are just loyal to ourselves. But we all have something that rules our life. There are no irreligious people. Everyone gives their loyalty and their life to someone or something. It's up to us to choose. Here's what Jesus says. Every other option is not a good option. The only person that deserves to be king is God himself. And so what is required of us is change. 
repentance. I read an article this week uh, about a Korean by the name of Yang Kyung Jong. In 1938, he was a Korean man. He was conscripted by the Japanese army to fight against the Russians. And so here, this young Korean man conscripted by the Japanese army, he fought against the Russians. The Red Army captured him. Then they took Yang Kyung Jong and put him all the way on the other side of Russia to fight the Germans on the Eastern Front. Then the Germans captured him, and they forced Yang Kyung Jong to fight against the Allies invading the Normandy Beach in 1944. So here, in the span of just a few years, a Korean man had fought for the Japanese and the Russians and the Germans. You know he had to wake up some mornings and go, now which army am I fighting for now, right? I'd be a little confused. Who are you fighting for? Who are you living for? Who really rules this right here? What's required of us, and here's what it means to be a Christian. A Christian means that God, that Jesus Christ, is our King. And no one rules our heart but Him. Now, I want to just flip over one page. Uh, flip over with me or scroll over with me to Matthew chapter 6. I want to get to some of the parables of Jesus, but I feel compelled to stop here. In Matthew chapter 6, we have Jesus' model prayer, our Father in heaven. By the way, it's good to remember that our King is also our Father, all right? And, and we're commanded, Jesus models for us to call God Father because that's the authority of our lives, but also that's a, an intimate relationship that He wants us to have. He wants us to know our King as our Father as well. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be Your name. What's that next request? Your kingdom come. It's interesting that as we enter into the kingdom, we're called upon to repent, but as soon as we are in the kingdom, as soon as we are citizens of the kingdom, God is our King. We're invited to partner with Him in the expansion of this kingdom. And so, could I encourage you this week, maybe in your own prayer life, not a bad, boy, that was loud, not a bad thing to pray, your kingdom come, and to pray it on a couple of levels, to pray that God's kingdom would grow in your life. If the kingdom of God is God's rule in the human heart, I'm going to tell you, there are parts of my life that still do not totally belong to Him. In fact, years ago, I, I did… Um, something of an experiment. I, would, I wouldn't do this today, but I encourage people to kind of create a graph of their life. You know, on this axis, you had how much you grow spiritually, and on this axis is what your age is, and kind of chart. We'd love to come to Christ and just everything be up and to the right. But sometimes we grow, and sometimes we don't, and sometimes we grow a little more, and then we backslide, and, and most of us, our life in Christ looks like that stock market ticker, right? Right after that message, a friend of mine caught me and said, that's not how I picture it at all. He said, what I picture my heart as is not like this, not a graph, but like a war map. And I want you to think about that. You know, you see these things on the History Channel. And by the way, some of you might be surprised there is a History Channel. There's more than just the Food Network on TV. That's what I'm trying to tell you. And so you see these maps with these huge sweeping arrows, you know, of conquered territory. Your heart is the battleground. Somebody is going to win it. Who? And then if you say, God is my king, how much does he possess? How much does he control? Maybe you've never let God's kingship into your marriage. Maybe you've never let God's kingship into your occupation. Maybe you've never let God's kingship 
and to what you're looking at online. And it's all about allowing him to conquer more and more of the human heart. God, your kingdom come. Could I also encourage you to pray that for this church? Pray that the kingdom would come here. It's so easy for the church to be sidelined by things that are less than important. Do you realize that the Romans crucified Jesus because they thought he was a political ruler? The Jews crucified Jesus because they thought he was upending their religion. We still try to fit Jesus in those categories today. Jesus did not come to start a religious revolution. Neither should we be about, we want to just make everyone a Baptist, right? It's not about purporting our religion. It's also not about politics. And I've seen this happen a lot over the years. People in this very congregation divided over what's happening politically. Listen, it doesn't really matter. I gotta be careful right here. Please stay informed. Vote your conscience. Respect the results. But whoever is in the White House doesn't change who is on the throne in heaven. Okay. And so it is so easy for us to get sidelined by religion and by politics. Those are not the revolutions that Jesus came to start. His revolution was a relational revolution. God's rule in the human heart. That's what he came to start. So we pray for that in our lives, we pray for that in our church, we also pray for that in our world. So as a kid, um, one Saturday, we had gotten in the car, we drove from San Angelo, Texas to the Sonora Caverns, underground caverns, stalagmites, stalactites, y'all probably have been to caverns and caves like this. First time for me to be in there, I was probably 11 or 12 years old, we went underground, and I remember very specifically asking our guide, how far underground are we? And he said, we're about 90 feet underground. He got us in this room together before we went into the caves, and he did the scary thing of turning off the light to show us complete darkness. What I remember is my dad was standing right here, and kind of in a surprise way, he turned off the lights, and instinctively, I just went, whoop, I went right up against my dad. Yeah. I think I made that sound, too, whoop, just kind of pull up right, right. I just did it instinctively. It was dark. I wanted to just feel where he was. Your kingdom come. We pray that to our Father. No matter how dark the world gets, He's right here. He's right here. And then He chooses to use us to be light in a dark world. So now flip over a few more pages with me. I'm going to ask you to go to Matthew 13. Jesus, again, in Matthew and in Mark and in Luke, a little bit in John, consistently talks about the kingdom of God or the translation of that kingdom of heaven. There's two parables I want to look at briefly. And what I want you to do is I want you to press your life up against these parables because one of these, or maybe both of them, will be a little bit of your story. And so we're going to read Matthew chapter 13, verses 44, 45, 46. Two parables in these three verses. Don't you love it when something is short and simple? So we do these little TV spots uh, in, on local networks, and, and I've got 30 minutes, and actually if you take off the intro and the outro, I have no more than 25.5 seconds to give a message. And I tell people it's a miracle that a Baptist can say something in less than 30 seconds, okay? But I love a well-crafted, every word's got to matter, 
Every word matters here. Listen to this. This is Matthew 13, 44. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it away, and then in his joy went and sold all that he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one, one of great value, he sold everything and he bought it. One of these two parables will will apply more than the other. So, we're talking about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, God's rule in the human heart. The first parable is about a man walking across a field, finds a treasure. This is Jesus' first parable on Oklahoma mineral rights. Okay. He stumbles upon a treasure. Well, in that day, if you own the field, you own everything in the field. And so, he sold everything. He bought this treasure. Literally, he wasn't looking for a treasure. He stumbled on it. It was purely by accident. Maybe you came into God's kingdom on accident. You weren't even looking for it, but He was looking for you, and you stumbled upon God in your life. Here's a couple of ways that could happen. You could have been born into a Christian family, and at an early age, you were introduced to Christ. You weren't looking for it. You, literally, it was put right in front of you where you could not have missed it. You stumbled on it. Or maybe when you went to college, you have no intention whatsoever of ever going to church, of ever being around Christians, but the roommate who was assigned to you by lottery just so happened to be a follower of Jesus. And over the course of a year, watching his or her life, seeing their integrity, you didn't ask for it, but because of that roommate, you stumbled upon the kingdom. It was almost by accident. The next parable is not accidental. It was intentional. And instead of somebody stumbling on a treasure, they were searching intently and intentionally for that one pearl of great price. And maybe that's more of your story, that you tried just about everything. You tried success. You tried alcohol. You tried relationships. You tried living in the right place and owning the right stuff. And all of it left you empty. And after a long pilgrimage, finally, you found the only one that can ever satisfy the human heart, Jesus Christ. So I'm just curious about this. I didn't even plan to do this in the first service, just kind of happened. How many of you would say, you know what, you just kind of stumbled into the kingdom you weren't looking for God necessarily, but it just kind of feels like He found you. How many of you say you kind of stumbled your way in? Okay. How many of you went through a long season of dissatisfaction, searching high and low until you finally discovered Christ? Let me see your hand. Okay. How many of you are so lost and confused right now that you don't know when to raise your hand and you really don't want to. Yeah, I see you too, right? Yeah. And, and by the way, it can be a little bit of both. We don't know quite how that works, but, but maybe you go, I see part of myself in both of these. But would you just hold these two parables? Because this tells us something about God's rule in the human heart. It may have been, from your perspective, accidental, or from your perspective, intentional. But from God's perspective, it's providential. He had a plan all along to bring you and to win your heart, okay? 
Also notice the contrast between the treasure. I just imagine this huge camel top, you know, treasure box like we see in the pirate movies versus this little pearl. You know what? The kingdom is so big, you could never fully comprehend it or carry it. It's a lifetime of discovering more and more treasures, but also, like the pearl, it's so very simple that God only wants one thing, and that is you. Here's the catch. He wants all of you. Also, notice in the first parable, the man, when he finds the treasure, he's overcome by joy. In the second parable, there's no emotion mentioned at all. It was just a good business decision to sell all the other pearls for this one. Sometimes God appeals to our hearts. For some of you, He appeals to your head. But either way, it's about God's rule in our lives. What the two parables have in common is nothing is more valuable. I think that's probably the way that I would sum up the heart of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Truly. I'm not talking about a nominal Christian or a Christian when it's convenient or Christian in name only. There is no one, nothing more valuable than him. I want to make one more stop. Matthew, go to the book of Revelation, last book in the New Testament, the scary book. I'm going to read the whole thing to you right now and give you nightmares. Uh, you think I'm kidding. That's cute. I'm going to do it. Here we go. No, actually, we're just going to read one verse of Revelation. By the way, um, Matthew was probably written within about 30 years of Jesus' life and death and resurrection. So this would be another 30 years later from Jesus' resurrection to Matthew's 30 years, from Matthew to the book of Revelation, probably about another 30 years. But this message of the kingdom of God had not faded in the least. Jesus came to start a revolution, not religious, not political, but relational. So John, the last living disciple in exile, writes the book of Revelation. A lot here. I think we make Revelation more confusing than it needs to be. But chapter 1, verse 9, I, John, as he introduces himself, a brother and companion in the suffering, the kingdom, and the patient endurance that are ours in Christ. Listen, life is defined by these three terms. There's suffering. Now, some of you might not say today, well, I'm really suffering right now, but we all struggle with things from time to time. Life is not easy for anyone. Suffering. There is the kingdom, and one day we will be there in its fullness, but between now and then, the kingdom is already, but it's not quite yet. We're not seeing it in its fullness. So we have suffering here and the kingdom here. And between the two, what's our call as kingdom citizens today? If Jesus is ruling our hearts, patient endurance. We walk through today. We live today in light of eternity. I have a new definition for patience. By the way, patience is not putting up with people. Okay, it's a little bit of that. But patience is not so much putting up as it is the decision not to give up. A friend of mine recently had his lower leg amputated. Visiting with him in the hospital, he had been fitted with the prosthetic and he was learning how to use it. 
And he was back in the hospital for complications, and he, he gave me, unknowingly, the best definition of patient endurance. He said this, I have to make the decision to get up every day and put on my left leg once I strap it on and I get up and walk. Suffering, kingdom, every day we get up, Jesus is our king, and we get to walking with him. So in the Beatles song, the mention of Mao Zedong kind of threw me off a little bit. I was, you know, that we don't live in the political turmoil of the 60s, and, and actually Mao Zedong rose to power in the 40s and the 50s. So how does that relate to anything that we've talked about today? God always surprises me in little ways. I went to my file that I have collected over several months in preparation for this message. And wouldn't you know there's an illustration about Mao Zedong waiting for me? You don't find it cool, but I do, all right? And so I'm just going to read this. Um, and this is written by Ben Patterson. He's just done some great writing on the kingdom of God. He said, the first song I learned in church was, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Please don't sing it. Okay. Little ones to him belong, they are weak, but he is strong. So in 1949, when Mao Zedong declared the establishment of the People's Republic of China, the country was closed to missionaries, and all the Western Christians were forced to leave the mainland. The church in China has had a very difficult time since. For years, little was known about how they were doing. The church was having a very difficult time, but they had to be very discreet to let news leak out to the larger world as to their existence and how they were faring. One message did get out in 1972. It was brief, and to the Chinese authorities, it seemed innocuous, but to everyone else, the message was clear. The message was this, the this I know people are well. The this I know people are well. This is a vivid and powerful word to Christians worldwide and to the human heart that who they were, people who loved Jesus, who were suffering, persevered toward the kingdom, and God ruled their hearts despite who was ruling their government. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. So would you stand with me? This is our response time today. I want to do something a little bit different, and it shouldn't be odd or unconventional, but it might be for some of you. We'll talk about the follow-up room here in just a moment. I want us to spend some time worshiping the King of Kings, right? So uh, during the pandemic, I was doing a little more reading than, than I normally do, and I came across what is believed to be the early, earliest Christian stance in worship. And, and I've, since the pandemic, I've been doing this. And I'm not saying this is for everyone. I'm not saying it, you have to do this. But for me, it really resonated that in the earliest Christian church, they would stand with their hands open like this. This is called the orans, O-R-A-N-S. It, it's related to the, the Greek word for prayer. And it's a way, the reason the Christians adopted this stance in worship was because in the ancient world, this is how you would approach a king. A subject would go before the king and would open their hands, and it served multiple purposes. It was for the, showing the purpose, I don't bring any weapons, I'm not a threat. It's also showing I have nothing to offer. It also shows I need something. There's so much communicated in this. 
Today, if Jesus is your king, maybe you just need that very tangible, physical way of expressing that. And so I would invite you during the song, if you want to, you don't have to, but just, just open your, your hands as a symbol of opening your heart, God's rule and the human heart. Now, for some of you, I know this will be very uncomfortable. Sometimes we don't know what to do with our hands in worship. You can just down here when no one's looking, you can kind of just put out your, your flippers, kind of do this down here if you want to. Listen, no one else is worried about what you're doing. They're worried about what they're doing. So what if we just agree right now? Just, just do you right now, okay? Just, just you and the Lord. So would you, if you feel the freedom to, just open your hands to the Lord as an outward symbol of that inner reality that you've decided that God will rule your heart and Him alone. Jesus, would your kingdom come in our world, in our church, and in our lives. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to our weekly message podcast. At the end of each worship service on Sunday morning, I offer a simple blessing, and I offer that blessing to you today. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you, and may God grant you peace, both now and forever. Amen.